Welcome to the EE Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 203, we continue with our Lean Six Sigma for Good series with Brian Hurley, how you can use your Lean and Six Sigma skills to help people in need and help improve the environment. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at e6s-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. There's something called the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and there are 17 different goals that they've come up with over the years. They used to be called, I think, the Millennium Goals okay. back in maybe 2000, and so they've kind of evolved. But basically, they've said these are the major problems going on in the world, and they try to lump them into these different buckets and say, you know, we've got issues with hunger, and we've got things with issues with poverty and clean water and clean energy and sustainable production and consumption and um, our strategies around climate action. And within each of these categories, there's a list of kind of a history of what the problems are. You know, X percentage of people in the world don't have access to clean water. And so if that if one of those issues kind of hits home to you that says, yeah, that's really important to me because of my background or just something I care about or something triggers something inside of me, then then there's plenty and plenty of nonprofit organizations that are out trying to address those exact problems. Maybe there's one even local chapter near you, or maybe it's just one organization that just got started and they're struggling along and they, they really need some help. Um, but there's really no shortage of, of people trying to address those issues. But um, that's where I was recommending is kind of people to start with that high level picture um, if they're if they're not sure what organization they might want to be involved with or what problem they're trying to help improve. And then hopefully there's something local that they can do to get engaged. Um, like I said, there's a local chapter of that organization or maybe they realize there's a gap and maybe they want to start an organization mm-hmm. of people to go address that issue. So I guess there's no excuse. The, the the bare minimum somebody could do is Google it and see what they have in their local area. Uh, and uh, if if they don't have a website, I guess that makes it a little bit more difficult. But uh, the likelihood, I would think, is a lot of these would have some sort of online presence, even if it's just a, uh, a Facebook uh, page. Right. Yep. And then you might say, hey, I got a buddy that um, she develops websites can, you know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll see if she wants to donate some of her time to give them a website. You know, there's usually plenty of, especially if you work in an organization, there's probably a lot of people, you know, with skill sets that would probably be happy to give a little bit of time to help out, but they need the foot in the door. And so that's what, mm-hmm. um, by getting more engaged with one of those organizations, you start to meet the, the people that run the organization, they start to trust you and then they'll start to share some of those ideas. Cause they're not going to, you're not going to walk in and say, Hey, I'm here to help. What are all your problems? Um, that doesn't go over very well, just like it doesn't go over that well at work, even if we are in an improvement role or, you know, I'm here from the corporate lean team. I'm here to help you. That that doesn't get, you know, people don't come up and hug you after that. They're standoffish and rightfully so. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, and, that, and that, that's exactly it. So the smart practitioners know that they have to build in a little of extra time 
Uh, I can imagine it's hard. It's easier to be a little bit more overzealous when you're volunteering it and you really want to help. So, um, <laughs> yeah. like, how do how do you how do you temper that and um, how do you how do you broach the subject when you're you're brand new off the street and nobody knows anything about what it is that you're talking about? Yeah, and so we've tried a couple different approaches because we definitely don't have it figured out with our group here in Portland. We've um, we're testing and experimenting each time. And so we've tried to approach just going to the executive director and presenting the topic of lean and see if they're, they understand it and are open to it. We've also t- recently tried to just act as a volunteer and mm-hmm. actually go in like any other volunteer and work a normal volunteer shift. And then with the idea that we're going to be kind of taking mental notes of what we're observing as we're going through that process and then sharing that at the end with uh, a team. And so I think that's worked pretty well, but you don't have to have a, a, a group. You could just go in and volunteer yourself and say, Hey, this is a skill set I have at my job. This is something I noticed when I came in to volunteer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and maybe they're, they're receptive to it and they're open to those ideas. And a lot of times they're not, the, the culture just isn't there to embrace it or they're burnt out or they just the last thing they want to hear right now. And so it, I think it's a good experience experience to kind of go in as a volunteer and then see, is this an organization I want to spend time in? Do I like the people there? Do I like what they're doing? Do, do I think I can help them? Are they open to those ideas? Um, and if not, then maybe there's a different organization. Or maybe you're willing to go through that effort and help them get to that point and, and work with them and be patient with them and be humble about it. So you're not going in and saying, here's what you're doing wrong and this is how you need to do your work. I've been here you know, two hours and I'm going to tell you how to run your process. Right. That's Never works. So that you, it really, if if you go in hoping to be the hero for the day because you know how to come in and and uh, transform them very quickly, you, you're going to be really disappointed. So you have to go in, fall in love with the mission, almost at the ground floor, build the credibility and the relationship, yep. and say, "Hey, you know, I I'm I'm so glad that I've you've given me the chance to be here. I've got some good ideas, which I think um, I'd like to run by you and see what you think." Yeah, and some have been super great about embracing those ideas, and others have been really difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as they feel like there's some opportunity there, we'll stick with it. But if they're, we're getting you know a lot of pushback on it, then we have to really think, is this something I want to fight through and, and help them overcome this? Or maybe I want to go somewhere else where they're more open to some of my suggestions and ideas. So that's that's like I've done at corporate level is you go to where you're wanted and needed. That's true. So I mean your 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 mission with this book is to get more people who have the still skill to get out there and get more involved. Uh, and your I guess your first piece of advice is, uh, but don't start at the top. You know, work your way in um, and gain credibility before you try to unleash your uh, expertise on these organizations. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, a good approach. And then, you know, if you do happen to have some connections in the organization, that, that's going to help for sure. But that's, I think, what the good thing about this Lean Portland team that we've got is we come in with as a group. And I think as a, as a nonprofit, I think they're, they probably get a lot of people hitting them up for, I'm here to help, what can mm-hmm. I do? You know, I've even talked to someone who said, we used to have somebody that would come in and sort out the medals. And now they moved away or they left or they got another job. And now this process is piling up. 
And so they've probably been burnt a lot of times with the superhero person that comes in and does all this work for them. And the problem is that it's risky and we wouldn't like that in an organization that we're involved with. We wouldn't want to have only one person knows how to run that machine or one person knows how to do that particular transaction. Mm -hmm. That's, that's high risk in any organization. And so even if they're a volunteer, they have to, they have to be careful that, it doesn't become, you know, all the knowledge is retained in that one person. So I think an individual themselves might carry a little bit of risk to an or, to an organization. But I mean, um, what we've, I think, helped with having a group is that we can go in and say, we have a team of people. Life happens. Volunteers have all kinds of changes in their personal lives and, and work history and projects at work going on, and they can't always fulfill what they committed to. So we've been able to say we have a co-lead and a lead Mm -hmm. and we have one or two other people that are involved. And one of us or two of us will always be there to keep the meetings going and and to keep the progress moving forward Mm -hmm. and to make sure we're not becoming part of the process of this. So I think it's, that's why it's been nice to have kind of a group effort going into there, but there's a lot an individual can do. It just, sometimes I could see where the nonprofits might be a little cautious about um, letting an individual kind of get too ingrained in the process where they can't maintain it if that person leaves. Right, right. So one classic way of trying to bring people to the table is through case studies and success stories and marketing material. Um, are there any notable success stories that come to mind that could be used to help persuade a, a nonprofit, say, hey, yes, this isn't just for manufacturing or all these other industries. This can work for you, too. Yeah, and that's one of the first things we're trying to uncover is where are there examples in, in these industries of lean applied to nonprofits? And there's quite a few. Actually, um, there's been a lot of work over in Africa with lean. Um, Andrew Paris, Steve Bell, there's a couple of people have gone over and volunteered their time and effort, uh, Mike Rogan. Um, and so I found quite a few examples, um, but then you come back, and you talk to an organization and say, yeah, that's great, but this is the United States or this is <laughs> this industry. And, you, and we've all heard these stories yeah. that it doesn't apply to our organization. We're special. We're unique in some way. And you said, okay, yep, you're right. You have some uniquenesses, but 99% of it does apply to what you're doing. Um, and so I have been trying to compile up a lot of these case studies into um, – the website that I built before I did the book, which is lean six sigma for good.com. And so I've been collecting all these examples I can find so that people could hopefully find these, these case studies more easily mm-hmm. um, and share them. When we go in and kind of give the lean one-on-one overview presentation, I use um, a video from the Toyota production system support center. It's TSSC. And that's their, and it's, it's Toyota consultants who work with, nonprofits and suppliers and they provide lean consulting and they're paid through Toyota, but mm-hmm. their job half of the time, it seems like they're working nonprofits pro bono type of projects. Okay. And they do a great job of documenting and videotaping their experiences and sharing that. So they have some great videos from the New York food bank. Um, they've done a lot of work there and have some awesome videos there. Um, so the one I always show is the one where they were looking at getting food coming out of pallets and getting them into boxes that are going to be handed out to people in need um, right after Hurricane Sandy. Mm -hmm. They go through the whole process of kind of understanding the struggles 
defining the problems, and then they teach them how to think about it differently, think about one-piece flow, how to reduce the complexity of the process, make it easier to handle the boxes, um, set up a, basically a little production line with a conveyor belt, and then you know continuously improve that process. And so it's a really powerful video that is just one of the many different videos that they put together to show these principles applying to nonprofits. So I, I use that one and then try to say, okay, I know you're not a food bank necessarily, <laughs> but it, this isn't technically manufacturing, but they do kind of show the connection that a lot of the tasks being done right. were the exact same tasks that you would see in Toyota yeah. manufacturing a vehicle. Yeah, you're not a food bank, but you do move containers <laughs> from one place to another. <laughs> yep. And it still and you takes have customers. Your time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and right. you transport and you move things around and there's defects and errors. Yep. So that one I think goes over pretty well. And then, you know, depending on the audience, I'll try to find some more specific mm-hmm. examples. But but there is a big gap in a lot of the nonprofits. There isn't something I can point to and say there here's an example where it's been applied. Is there a trusted place where nonprofits, some of these nonprofits you talk to, they go for um, advice, maybe a government website or something like that. I mean, there are, they can't all be just operating out there alone, directionless. There's, there's, they must go somewhere for some sense of um, security that they're doing the right things uh, the right way. That's a good question. Um, each one, each of them has their own like trade organizations. I, th- I think that's where they're getting a lot of their knowledge and information. So they're going to like an annual conference where they get to meet other people in those same mm-hmm. um, industries. So like the reuse industry has its own reuse. Conference. Right. And their um, reclaimed building materials has their own conference. I think that's where they're getting a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I think they're also getting support from local governments and state governments um, as well. Um, they're applying for grants and sometimes the grants will put in some stuff that says we want you to be doing these types of things. Mm-hmm. They haven't specifically called out process improvement or lean as much, but I, I feel like that's heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And there's some states that are really being progressive about deploying lean into their operations and then starting to uh, look at hey, if we're going to be giving out grants, we should be making sure that they're being efficient with the money that we're going to give them. Right. And if they don't understand these techniques, then maybe that's a gap, then and we can either um, reward them for doing that, if for seeking out some education or knowledge on that, or maybe that should be part of it is we should try to incorporate that into the process and help them. Yeah, I, I'm just, uh, you know, it sounds like the, a lot of the folks that you'll be dealing with would um, would take the word of, you know, word of mouth from somebody who's been through it that they know and trust in one of these organizations uh, before they would trust a you know a promotional video of yeah. a Japanese company helping out you know a, a, a an East Coast hurricane society <laughs> where yeah. you, you don't get hurricanes on the West Coast you're not uh, hiring a Japanese company to come in and fix it for you um, and all that other stuff yeah all absolutely. those other excuses right <laughs> okay you mentioned the uh, 17 sustainable development goals and somebody finding which ones really sit with them and resonate with them. Which of these tend to resonate with you most? Yeah, there's a couple that I've been really kind of honing in on and trying to stay focused on. And it's, it's hard because there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems that need, that need to be addressed. And so, but, so that's been the last couple of years. I've been trying to really keep myself as much as I can kind of focus in a couple of key areas. So the ones that I resonated a lot with was the affordable and clean energy 
and just trying to promote stuff like solar and wind and kind of figure out ways to to get more involved in, in those organizations that are, are doing that type of work. And some of them are, are for-profit companies and there's a booming, you know, renewable energy industry. So I've had some good contacts already and started to do some work with um, uh, a wind energy company and doing mm-hmm. some training for them. So um, I think there's opportunities there. You know, I was just did some volunteer work today with a solar installation at a nonprofit. So I got up on the roof and was working on that. And there's a lot of opportunities there for doing things a little more efficiently and more organized and better labeling and marking and stuff. And so it's it's you know it's it's everywhere you look, almost to uh, occur sometimes. But the opportunities are there. So to figure out can is there something I can do to make those processes more efficient so that the prices come down and then it's more affordable for people. Um, and then I mentioned the recycling before. So the, another one is responsible consumption and production. Mm-hmm. So that gets into, are we making buying purchases based on what am I going to do with this at the end of it? If I'm not thinking about, can I recycle this product at the end when I make the purchase, then we need, that needs to be part of the decision-making process. Um, and then the production side of it is right up everybody's alley is, is if we can, if organizations can be more efficient, that's good for the environment. And so even if you don't have the intent of being green company, but you are making something or you're processing things and you're doing it inefficiently, that's it's it's adding some impact to the environment. If you have to stay late and work overtime, that means you're leaving the lights on and leaving the heating and air conditioning running longer than you need to, or you could be at home by now. Or you're actually making stuff and you have a high scrap rate or, or low yields and you're having to rework or do more buy more materials to cover that loss. Mm-hmm. That's an impact on the environment too. So um, those fall, the consumption and production falls in really nicely with Lean Six Sigma directly. Um, also like the climate action activity, just try to get the cost, the, the real costs to the environment brought into the manufacturers and suppliers so that we're, we're paying for the real impact mm-hmm. and it's not being paid by society or Cradle of the grave. Yeah. Yeah, cradle to grave or those externality costs, they call it that, you know, if, if you're polluting and then somebody gets sick and they go to the hospital, well, the hospital doesn't, you know, you don't get to send a bill back to that that factory down the street that gave you asthma attack. That's something they get to essentially pollute for free. And then you have to pay that cost because society, you're at the end yeah. of that society. Yeah. So yeah. if those costs start to become more assigned back to the, the contributor to that. I think you'll see a change in the price of materials that isn't there today. Mm-hmm. So those types of things need to happen at a large level so that it's fair. If, if one company decides to go ahead and say, we're going to price this differently, that's going to really put them at a competitive disadvantage if there's not kind of a large-scale effort to support that. They're going to be on their own, and that could really hurt them. Right. One of the things that yeah, – so I started taking my MBA, and um, I'm doing economics right now, so macroeconomics, and the the measure of our – wealth gdp is mostly driven by consumption and that kind of really sticks in my craw because um, for the most part we overconsume in the united states like like crazy and mm-hmm. um for that to be the measure of prosperity not not to export not um meeting demand but is just a ever increasing demand for stuff is the measure of our quality of life. And I just think that that kind of metric for the health of society is, uh, <laughs> is uh, problematic, I guess, to say it the is. least. Yeah, so the two examples, one is the oil spill 
what was the Gulf of Mexico, the Gulf mm -hmm. um, Horizon oil spill. So that was a boom to the GDP because we had to now fly people down there, clean buy cleaning supplies, you know, and um, all this activity resulted to try to clean up the spill. And that is a positive thing on the GDP. Oof. So is that really, you know, something we want to say, this is a good thing that we're cleaning up messes, environmental messes. Um, the other example that I thought was really interesting is if you have, let's say, um, a mother and her child and she has a day off and she takes her child to the library and they bike there, they walk there and they go borrow a book and they read the book and check it out and then they return it. Um, and then they go to the park and then they go back home. They had zero impact on the GDP, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't actually buy anything and they didn't consume any resources. But if somebody else had gotten in their vehicle, driven to a bookstore, bought a book, and then gone to an amusement park or a park somewhere and to the zoo and paid a ticket, that would have been a very similar day, but it would have been a positive thing to the GDP. And so the spending is only measure of that. And, and to your point, that is, I don't know if that's the right way we wouldn't be looking at it. And I think a lot of there's a lot of activity going on to say there's a there's other ways we should be measuring it, not GDP. Maybe it's this right. global happiness index or exactly something like taking out negative issues like that and not getting us credit for that or not being so much. It again goes back to this triple bottom line: is it all about price and cost and purchasing, or is it about the happiness of the society and the um, reuse of materials and total life, you know, experience? I guess. So you, you talked about the triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit, and essentially the, the mix of these equaling uh, sustainability. So how is it that these things, and maybe we should even define sustainability, mm -hmm. um, because you can think about business sustainability, and that is uh, the most amount of money for the longest amount of time, maybe, um, or or that could mean that I have a business that I can pass on to my children. I got a small business, and that's sustainable. Um, so what's your definition of sustainable? Yeah, so there's lots of definitions, um, and that's part of the, the struggle is that everyone has kind of a different perception of that. But the big picture definition is that future generations aren't, aren't, aren't being affected by decisions you're making today, and they're giving the same – they're, they're going to have the same opportunities that you, we have today we're not shortchanging them by the by the things we do. So we're giving them, you know, a life that can carry on. We're not giving them something that's damaged or ruined. Um, and it goes for businesses too. When we talk about sustainability, usually when I'm talking to Lean and Six Sigma practitioners, they're they think about it in terms of did my project go to 12 months with sustained sustained results? Mm, and right. that's kind of sustainability at a very short uh, view perspective. Um, even though we think that's pretty long-term for a business to think about it 12 months out, that's pretty progressive. So now we want to think, what about five years out from now or 10 years or 50 years or like um, I've heard people talk about 1500 years. How would you, how is your organization going to look like in 1500 years in the future? Right. That's just mind boggling for most people to think about. But um, there was a, a Japanese construction company, Kongo Gumi is, was around 1400 years. And so how can you think like that and say, how do I sustain my organization that long term? So I'm sustainable in a long period of time. That's so that's kind of, I guess, the, the simplest way to describe it. And so I can't do that if I'm depleting resource, natural resources or I'm burning out my employees or I'm 
Um, I, my customers don't trust me because of ethical violations I'm doing. So it's really just saying, am I running a, a, a sound, solid organization doing all the right things? Right. So you do call out uh, in your book, BP, Wells Fargo, and Apple is not really observing this uh, triple bottom line with, I guess, some of the things that um, have happened. Mm-hmm. These, well, at least Apple is still probably at the top of their game. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I I buy Apple. Um, a lot of, uh, heck, Apple is uh, the, the reason I have this podcast if I really want to get down to it. Um, so I'm not boycotting them. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've got plenty of BP products Maybe even in my uh, plastic. Oh, I don't even like saying these things to you. <laughs> my my plastic water bottle right next to me. I, I cringe every time I'm about to say something because <laughs> I know. I don't how. judge. I don't judge. Yeah, I've got my own little um, vices as well. I mean, nobody's perfect, so don't feel bad. You know, someone would say, "Well, you could have a greener vehicle," but then that same person could be, you know, flying around the world all the time. So everyone's got their own challenges and struggles and i think as people are trying to look to say can i do better each day can i mm. try to reduce my impact over time i think that's really what i would hope for people is just to be aware of what they're doing and try to make a difference and cut back on what their impact is or offset what they're doing so yeah maybe that makes sense for you to have a plastic bottle i'm not gonna nitpick about little stuff like that you just um you you raised my uh, awareness of it though that that's for sure and uh uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, uh, but let's talk about BP, like Wells Apple, Fargo, and, and yep, Apple. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What is so your take on this? Yeah, my take is that I think it's still something that we as consumers are still very much price focused. Um, I think we we make decisions based on what's the lowest cost item, and we're not really thinking about in terms of what's the full impact on the environment. And and is this purchase a reflection of myself and my values, or is it you know, I'm just going to find the cheapest item I can. And I think as consumers get a little more savvy and knowledgeable about these problems in the world, and they can start to go back and say, am I, am I helping the cause or am I contributing to the problem? And I think for a lot of people, they complain about um, some of the organizations, but then that doesn't change their buying behaviors. And, and organizations will respond to what the people, not what they say, but they'll respond to what they do in terms of buying. Mm-hmm. And purchases, right? So if you go to a company and says, we don't want to buy this product, we'll buy something else if you can green it, and you actually do buy it, they'll be glad to sell you right. the greenest product they want to. But what they've tried in the past, the, the response was, eh, I don't want to pay an extra dollar or 50 cents, or I didn't notice, or I didn't factor into my decision making. And so they said, we're going to go back to doing what's been working for us. The consumers aren't telling us that these things matter to them. So mm-hmm. we're going to keep providing it to them and they say price is king and, and we're going to continue to meet that. So right. I, I think personally, I don't really point the finger at the companies too much. I think it's us individuals. We need to vote with our dollars. And when we make purchases, we should say, is this reflecting what I think is important? And am I spending my money with companies that I think are trying to do the right thing? Right. Um, and at least be starting to be aware of those types of things. So Apple's and the BP's and, and, any major company is going to have some problems that come up. They're, they're almost unavoidable. It's how they respond to it and then how much goodwill they built up prior to that. Right. So I think a company like a BP probably hasn't built up a lot of goodwill and they've had enough issues that they've been on the, and people are finding out there's documentation that says, you know, they've been involved in trying to squelch information and education and knowledge mm-hmm. from getting out. So they don't have a very good track record. 
Apple is going to be more forgiving because they probably have done a lot of good things or have tried to do some good things in the past. So that does factor into it and how they respond and how the consumers respond to it. Some have higher bars to meet than others. And, you know, you might not complain as much about a Walmart because you kind of know what you're getting, but you might go to another outlet like a someone that's a little bit more sustainable and you might have higher expectations about what they do. So mm-hmm. um, I think that over time, it, the trend is it's going towards those things are becoming more and more critical and important. But there is still a lot of decisions that those things aren't being factored into it and the companies can recover by not being as sustainable as they could. But I think they're saying that the where it helps the organizations is that it retains their employees, which there's good cost savings there. Um, they don't have to spend a lot of money in kind of reclaiming their name or recovering from incidences that happen or the reputation that's that's hurt by that. Um, there's avoiding of fines and, and penalties from issues that, that get that get out. And then eventually it starts to build long-term customer goodwill if they're doing the right things or they're going to lose that goodwill from their customers and they're going to, the customer is going to start looking for other sources. But um, those, those companies, I think, would be impacted. Each year we go on, I think they'll get more and more impacted when those things happen. But I think till, still today we have a lot of decisions and buying that is done where that's not, it's not hurting them as much as it will in the future, I think. So getting back to your own personal impact, um, you have some you have evolved or conditioned yourself in such a way to be very cognizant of the kind of impact you are having and and you take very deliberate efforts to either eliminate or do something to make up for that impact. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you try to do in your own personal life? Yeah, so um, you know, just trying to again take one thing at a time, you know, changing my vehicles over the years. I try to go to more and more uh, fuel-efficient vehicles from a, a car that I got that I didn't even know what the miles per gallon was to a Prius to now I'm doing an electric car where I'm just plugging in. And there's that doesn't mean it's zero impact. It just means there's a different energy source from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not gasoline. It's Maybe it's coal. But uh, in Oregon, that's, that mix is... Um, lot better than other places so overall it it helps thanks for listening to episode 203 of the e-success methods podcast stay tuned for episode 204 where we finish off with part three of hashtag lean six sigma for good don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes tap click done if you have a question comment or advice leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly feel free to email me aaron a-a-r-o-n at e6s-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget, you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If not climbing up, you're falling down.